From New York City, the world famous Comedy Cellar presents Live from America Podcast. With Noam Dorman and Hatem Gabber, live from America Podcast, where the top experts in the world and the best comics in the nation get together weekly to discuss today's issues as they cover news, culture, politics, comedy, and more with an equal part of knowledge and comedy. And now, here are your hosts, Hatem Gabber and Noam Dorman. Hey, welcome to Live from America podcast. This is Hatem, alongside me, the one and only Noam Dorman, owner of the legendary comedy cellar. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. How's the cellar this week? Uh, busy, busy. Good, good. Any special guests stop by, as usual? I know Chappelle was there. Uh, not this weekend. Uh, Ray Romano. Um, Pete Davidson, right? Pete Davidson, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, and we have our good friend, regular, semi-regular here, a very funny comedian, Danny Polachek. How are you? Good, are you? Excellent. And our guest of honor is Mr. Gilbert King. Uh, he is a writer, producer, and host of one of the top podcasts, top 10 in the U.S. right now, Bone Valley. Uh, he's the author of three books. He gave one to Noam, including Devil in the Grove. Uh, he was uh, awarded the Pulitzer Prize before, um, and he has written about race, civil rights, and the death penalty for New York Times, Washington Post, and Atlantic. Welcome to the show. Ah, great to be here. Is, is this the the, um, the the book about Thurgood Marshall? Yeah, that's it. No, yeah, I do remember. Yeah, okay. Oh, now you remember. <laughs> you got it. Welcome to the show. Great to have you, Gilbert. Uh, amazing show. We're going to talk. Congrats on your, your success. Amazing podcast. Congrats. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. So the second part of this podcast, we're going to talk about your podcast and all that. Uh, a couple of news. First, we'll start with it and we'll see. Uh, anybody, by the way, I'm just curious, anybody here watching the World Cup or care about the World Cup? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, you have? I'm watching a little bit, yeah. Well, I'm Canadian. First time in my life that Canada was in it. So it was there was some sort of skin in the game for me, but they didn't put in uh, exactly a good performance, so. Oh yeah, but that's uh, it's historic for them. What about you? We're supposed to be at the World. Aren't you gonna get us to see the World Cup? Yeah, we're supposed to be there. What happened? Adidas blocked us. I, well, I can't say that now, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know who's there now with the, with the, our friend is um, the mayor of New York City, Eric he's, Adams. Yeah, he's there. What about you, Gabo? Do you watch the uh, World Cup? I've been watching, actually. I really enjoyed it. I, I thought the Americans were pretty good. You know, they're obviously not as good as the Netherlands and, and many of the other good teams, but they hung in there pretty well. So, and they're young. So, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the US lost and they home. And um, the one thing that I heard, the best thing I heard, that this is the shortest time that US spent in the Middle East. That's <laughs> 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 pretty funny. Uh, all right. So, uh, let's let's uh, get going. Uh, so, first thing is uh, for the topic is the uh, Will Smith. Trevor Noah interview. So this was Will Smith's first interview uh, since the incident with Chris Rock. And, uh, you know, they talk about the incident, obviously, and the movie and stuff. And it was uh, different opinions uh, so and reaction to it. So what's your reaction to it? Let's let's get with uh, Danny and then we'll go double and then Noam. 
Uh, I mean, like, I feel like he, he should be able to come back at some point. I don't know. I, I'm not really into this whole, like, canceled for life stuff. I, I just don't know really, like, the the time frame, but I'm sure he feels bad about it. Uh, I, I don't know, like, is he meant to be punished indefinitely? Apparently his movie's really good, too, the new one. So I, I, I'm not really uh, too sure. Obviously, he must be incredibly embarrassed by the whole thing. What about you, Gil? What's you your know, my take on it is so, you know pretty similar to Danny's. I actually worked um, with the writer of Emancipation, uh, Bill Collage, who's one of the writers for Devil in the Grove. We were trying to develop that. And he came up with this great idea. And he was so excited and talking about it, did all this research and, and ended up writing this great movie that everybody wanted to see. And, and then this comes along. And I just feel like, boy, it's an important movie that people should see. And I, I kind of hope that it's not just pushed off to the side and canceled along with Will Smith, because I think the content of the movie is really important. No. I didn't see the interview. What, 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 what was noteworthy? Well, I mean, there was different reaction. Uh, you know, some people say that he wasn't sincere, but the, the, the main thing I think people criticized him for was he didn't say, I'm sorry. And he didn't kind of like address Chris Rock, like directly. Uh, the main thing he was saying, like that, uh, he just was out of hand and it was wrong. And he doesn't want like Gilbert's, uh, uh point. He doesn't want the people in the movie involved in the great movie to be punished because of him. You should get like a, a you know, a, um, you should cue these things up so you can play the interview uh, on the show. Well, I mean, I, I'm sorry. How to, I hope I don't disappoint you. I don't have any comment on this. He should, people should say they're sorry. I do believe that. Yeah. <laughs> if they're sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's, it is odd that he didn't, he couldn't just say that. Yeah. That's, that's my sorry. main thing with him. I mean, I like Will Smith. He's a very likable person, you know? Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I like Chris Rock more, obviously. And so, if if he's, for example, for this film, like if he's nominated for best actor, he can't, he can't go. To the he can physically be there, but he can send somebody to take the, you know, the award for him, I guess. But I don't know. If that's that's uh, actually a good question because would he be able? To... I don't. I think they said he's banned. No, he's banned for ten years from attending the ceremony. But could he yeah. be nominated? Nominated? I don't know. I think so. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be discrediting? Not that they have the most insane amount of credibility but like wouldn't that be discrediting them for saying like isn't if he's the best actor is he not the best actor regardless of this stuff yeah true uh, yeah, i always wonder like is would the academy like would the voters actually vote for him like probably not no matter what just to avoid that kind of a uh, situation yeah probably let's hope somebody have a better uh you know uh movie so they can or, have uh, you know something to um or maybe he should, he should this... probably come out as trans <laughs> then he <laughs> then he'll win the Oscar. Forgive him, yeah. or maybe he'll get lucky and several other people will get slapped this year and they'll just forget about him. <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be you know, but um, also uh, you know, Chris Rock have a, a special coming and supposed to be covering this thing, so that should be interesting uh, with Netflix. So it's live, anyway. it's live, right? It's gonna be live on. Yeah, it's gonna be live, right? Yeah. So it should be uh, should be very interesting. Okay, so next one, um, Elon Musk. He's been in his news a lot, you know. But you know, he's he's going. I think he's going crazy. But anyway, uh, so uh, people are saying, uh, or not people, but like the studies show that you know uh, the rise of hate speech on Twitter. I sent you guys some numbers and stuff like that. Uh, slurs against gay, against black, against anti-Semitism. You know, uh, all this have like evolved a lot, like in numbers, uh, according to the center of. Um, uh, digital hate 
an anti-defamination leak. And they say like that this is like this is all because of like Elon Musk. He said like he bring back people that he didn't that were canceled, you know. Um, so what do you guys think of that, Gilbert? Well, we lost you for a second. Say it again. Oh, I said, what's what do you think? What's your take on that? That hate speech since Elon Musk is not banning anybody like free speech, whatever, bringing people back to co- to, uh, you know, um, to Twitter, no matter who they are. President Trump, obviously, you know, um, all the false information for COVID is not blocked anymore or whatever, you know, COVID. So what's your take on that? Yes, he may. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm you know, I'm very skeptical of all this. I think that, um, you know, once uh, I'm, I'm trying to Google the date of this uh, thing, but once uh, Elon Musk took over, I mean, I, I was tempted to try to tweet the N word. You know, it's just like you, you just want to see like what what's what can you get away with now? So I, so I think everybody was probably just like, um, you know, testing the water. I mean, I, I will say you could have done that before. It's just you're probably uh, the club might get a bit of a black eye, no pun intended. But like, you know, you could have done that before. You're not getting banned. Like, how do they know who's tweet, like who's quote unquote allowed to tweet it and who's not? You know, because there's obviously like if, if you're black and you can tweet it, like nobody's going to stop you from doing that. So now this has showed up on the service. I guess this is stuff that got, got through. I mean, <sighs> The narrative on this Musk thing is so is so thick. I I don't believe Elon Musk took over Twitter because he wants to allow people to tweet n words and and gay slurs. And I and I'm pretty sure when he gets this shit together, he will take care of that. I also read that one thing he did do immediately is that uh, the amount of child pornography and uh, solicitation has been uh, drastically reduced because he. Uh, his first priority was to attack certain hashtags, which inexplicably, if what I read is true, uh, they were not acting on, you know, he blocked them. He blocked them and, and, and he set his attention on it. I think that Musk's um, focus is to try to push back on the actual legitimate differences of opinion. And there's been many of them, which have been hair trigger, censored and always censored in the same direction i think that's what musk is about well, what about the COVID misinformation that he's allowing now like what i don't know he's like he ended the enforcement of like the policy against COVID misinformation like you don't you don't right but a, but a lot of the COVID misinformation turned out not to be misinformation again and again and again that was yeah. censored. So I, like um, there was zero hedge was banned for two months for like their account was basically locked or or suspended for tweeting that the virus was made in a lab and then now that's the prevailing that that was considered misinformation and now i think that's what, what kind of the prevailing uh ideas on that so listen the the then again the narrative is so thick on this guy you really don't know what to believe what not to believe he did he did um he has especially with this paul pelosi thing he has done certain things which you know are, are impossible to defend i would say and didn't make my life any easier as somebody who's inclined to want to defend him. However, um, you know, the fact that uh, I, I looked it up, Tw- Twitter was at 3,500 employees in 2017. It went to 7,000 right before he took over. It's back down to 3,500. The guy's got to cut uh, expenses and raise revenue. It loses $250 million a year. Um, you know, he's getting criticized for 
trying to turn the place around. Now, um, there is there is uh, hundreds of millions of dollars saved by by cutting all the employees. Number one, but number two, just as importantly, you can't turn around a business with the previous guys' employees. They will, when you take over a place and you want to really redirect it and and change things, you need to get rid of about half at least of the old employees because they will see to it that you don't succeed. You need a new staff of people who are there because they want to support your um tenure. Yeah, but I kind of talk about like, you know, like him Gilbert what what do you think of that first and then I mean, I'm just sort of sort of puzzled by the whole thing as well, you know, coming into this business that is immediately going to be losing a ton of money for himself. And I kind of just find it interesting to see how this is going to play out, you know, inviting Donald Trump back. And then Trump obviously can't tweet because he's got this thing with true social until all this stuff gets worked out. But, um, you know, I, I suspect Trump will be back on on Twitter at some point if he's seriously running for president. And that's going to be his platform, um, just like he did in 2016. But do you think but I, I just don't understand why everybody's I don't understand why everybody's freaking out about Musk. Why do they hate him so much? Like what 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 am I missing? The guy is uh, a billionaire. Well, first of all, who's they? General, general disdain. <laughs> who's they? Uh, Who do you mean by they? Man? I mean the, well <laughs> they is all is uh you know a lot of the elite media and I mean it's just like every little thing, every story is so negative to the guy. Give him a chance. He's not like a KKK member, is he? Is Elon Musk some sort of a right-wing fanatic? He just, we all know that Twitter has been overzealous. And well, it's not just I Twitter. Mean, like, what do you think of like when he says stuff like, like oh, I'm going to release the information about what really happened with that. With I mean, he did yesterday. I don't yeah. Know like, like does he have that power? Like, he shouldn't have that power, you know? What are you talking about? It's his company. It's his company. It's just internal data. that Shouldn't have the power to do what? What are you talking about? To he release, just release internal emails. Yeah, I don't know if it's I don't know. I'm not I'm like he can say twit like same thing with like banning like uh you know Kanye West. Yeah, he should be banned, but don't come and say like I banned it. Like it should be Twitter, not Elon Musk. Well, there should be um transparent set of rules. That that Kanye West thing, I in my opinion, sets a bad precedent for what he did, where he just unilaterally decides to just ban a guy. Look, yeah, tw that's Twitter I'm is a private company. This is one thing that Sam Harris gets right. Twitter is a private company. Every decision that a private company makes is presumed to affect the bottom line in one way or another. And anybody who wants to say that he should or shouldn't do something, you know, they have no, really, are you going to pay his bills if that decision makes less money for the company? You know, it's a, I, I think Twitter is important because uh, zooming out, we have a big problem with a cultural decay in our love and respect and embrace of free speech in this country. It's death by a thousand cuts. And when Twitter bans people and, and people expect Twitter to ban people, this kind of filters down into every aspect of society. This is why people at the New York Times felt unsafe and demanded that James Bennett was fired. So I, I think it's very, very good for the nation if Twitter is stalwart and and uh, errs on the side of allowing free speech and we get used to that. But um, having said that, it's his company. It, they can do whatever they want. I, I don't see why people think they have some right to say what Twitter can and can't do. The government may not have a right to be calling up Twitter and suggesting what tweets they take down. That may not be legal. We don't know to what extent they actually did that, how serious it was, whatever it is. Well, but the, the Biden team did that, but they were not in power. So that's because everybody's trying to say that this was like a First Amendment violation. 
but it wasn't the government pressuring Twitter. It was the potentially new government, but they were not the government at the time. Well, we don't know if they still do it. Uh, there's been some Zuckerberg said that uh, it happened while he was still. It, it did happen while um, uh, didn't he? Didn't Zuckerberg say that the government? Yeah, the, all around this was Hunter Biden thing, the Hunter Biden laptop. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is a real issue. Now, this issue of jawboning, as they call it, you know, it's not that clear because why can't the government call up Twitter and say, you know, this is false? You know, it's, it's hard to decide whether it's a threat. Is it an order or is it actually just a conversation between government and a company? It's not like you expect them not to be able to do that. So it's it's tough to prove. But when they start yeah. calling these people in before Congress uh, and and kind of using threatening language that you need to clean up your act. And then all of a sudden, the, the president of the same party calls you up and says, you know, this this is problematic. It's not easy to, to ignore that, right? The, the one thing for me is with Elon Musk is I feel like I said, like he's not making it Twitter. He's making it him, which is it's his business. I understand that. But there's also shareholders and stuff like that. So he shouldn't be it shouldn't be about him. Oh, I did this. I did. You know, I'm going to ban this. guy. It should be like more a Twitter in the front line. Who was doing it before? Huh? Who was doing it before? Who? Who was deciding before Elon Musk? Somebody was making the decisions. With the fact that we don't even know the name just shows you that. Well, it, it was their head, uh, Vijaya, the, the woman who went on. I, I can't remember her last name, but she was their head of their like legal. She was uh, a, a big part of it. But they had this like trust and safety team. It was, it was probably like, you know, 300 people who no longer work there. Yeah. It's always going to come down to somebody making a decision. Yeah. And Norm, yeah. Norm, you don't even tweet. It's smart. One of the smartest things I ever did in my life. I never tweeted. <laughs> I, I, I always knew it was bad. Gil, are you big in Twitter? You know, I'm not really. I can't. I don't really like it much. But now I've sort of been using it because I'm trying to. You know, there's an innocent man in prison, and I'm trying to promote this podcast. So it's not like promoting, you know, a new novel. It's about getting a story out of a man who's wrongfully convicted and in prison. So yeah, I'm tweeting a lot these days just to get the story out. You just set the bar so high now for me to tweet because I usually tweet to get <laughs> to meet someone. You're trying to get somebody out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> we all have our motivations, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I but mean, no. it, is, isn't it interesting that they Twitter lost half of its employees and just continued to work like nothing, nothing happened? Like nothing changed. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a big MySQL. It's just a big MySQL database, right? I'm assuming it's MySQL. It's just like, it's just a database. You, it, it's, I don't know. People you know, I think you know. It's funny because I think it's the same thing with with um, with a comedy seller. Because you look at the comedy seller, it's running very efficiently. And if you look at the other companies that similar, you have like million staff, and they're just not really doing anything. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of. I mean, you can use a couple of more people, but you know. But um, but in general, you know, uh, I think I think it's it's one of the be best thing about being a boss is like if you manage to know exactly what you need in a team and have that team, you'll be more success successful than if you have so many people that don't do shit. You know, so I think for that, I'm with him. You know, I mean, there was a week where everybody was saying goodbye to Twitter on Twitter. Like they were like, all right, I guess this is the end. See you later. We'll we'll see you on some other site, assuming that it was all going to shut down and. Here we are. Yeah, I think one of the funniest things back in the day when um, they were making fun of Kanye West because he was asking Zuckerberg for money to invest in fashion, and he asked him on Twitter. And they said the one thing that like, you should do, at least ask him on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> one thing is for sure, and it's just amazing to me that more people won't come clean on it, 
if this Hunter Biden laptop thing had been in the opposite direction, if this had been a Trump Jr. laptop, which, you know, with emails expressing a kind of like a corrupt kind of thing, keeping money on the side and and, and all this stuff. And and Twitter censored it and Twitter was all and Musk and Musk censored it, you know. They would be screaming to high heaven. There's some. It was serious. They they didn't. They suspended the New York Post. They wouldn't let you DM it the link. Right? They it, this yeah. is in the private thing. It's almost like the the AT and T won't even let you call and tell somebody, hey, you got to check out this link. This was over the top. And the fact that Musk is the villain here, rather than the old regime, is kind of surreal to me. Like it, it's. Obviously, they they had gone too far with this Hunter Biden thing, and with the and with the lab leak thing, and and with some other things like that. I mean, they just need a set of rules. Just say here are the rules and just apply them fairly. I, well, I that's not reason. What... Uh, yeah, I guess. But I mean, good I thing leave. we have the truth, right? Truth social. Yeah, so you can do your thing there, Paulo too. <laughs> when you, but anyway, so um, let's talk about the main thing. Um, you know, getting innocent people out of jail. So first of all, Bond Valley, uh, you know, Bone Valley is like number 10, uh, the top 10 right now in the US. Congrats on that. So you want to tell us a little bit about your your podcast, Gil? Oh, wait, yeah. but, but, but just go one more thing before I go, just because I don't want to have to sidetrack out of it. Did you know that there's hardcore porn on Twitter all the time? Do I know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because yeah. I and I the way I found it was I put in some I like like cat on a keyboard like just by accident I searched some garbage characters on my uh, like a a random set of characters on my keyboard and it, and it turned out to be some hashtag like an acronym hashtag and the most like serious hardcore porn sh- unfiltered any kid can do it no warning and nobody cares about this. No. But they care about, you know, some uh, disinformation. It's amazing how our culture has changed, where the issue of hardcore porn on Twitter isn't even an issue. Like, nobody says, you know, your your, your kid shouldn't be allowed to use Twitter. Maybe well, you know, it's an issue anyways. if you have kids, but for single guys like me, it's not really an issue. It's a benefit, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> So it depends who you are, left versus right. I don't want my right. daughter. W- one-stop shop for how to... I don't want my daughter seeing hardcore porn. I, well, she's I, not going to be in Twitter. Why is she in Twitter? She, she's probably in TikTok or stuff like that. They don't care about Twitter. Kids. Kids kids will find... If, if, if one kid sees this, they show all their friends. That's the way kids... But wait, ahead, I'm just curious. Sorry. Where's the tipper gores of today? They don't seem to... No, there's nobody out cracking down on this kind of stuff. Like in the 80s, you know, like rap music is bad. There was a huge campaign about the lyrics in, in rap songs. And, and like, you don't see any of that today. It's more... No. You know, it's just, uh, that's I think done. I think because it's a war that you cannot win. It's like just the drug war. How, yeah, that hasn't stopped. Yeah. That hasn't stopped the Palestinians. Okay, Gilbert, go ahead. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, you don't know about that. Okay, you know what? Since since COVID misinformation is on, I know where it leaks from now. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the truth about COVID leaks from a lab in Israel. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great segue. Right, now me. go ahead. Now get to Gilbert's thing. Go so ahead. let's uh, let's go again yeah. with that question. So Bone Valley, your yeah. podcast, um, nine parts, and it's top ten in the U.S. right now in true crime. 
Uh, congrats. And if you want, you want to tell us a little bit uh, about it first, and then we're going to deepen the question. Yeah, just briefly, I was doing a talk about my book um, down in Florida, and a judge came up to me afterwards and handed me this business card. And he gave me the name Leo Schofield on the back of his card and said, not just wrongfully convicted, he's an innocent man. And I remember thinking, like, it's kind of weird that a judge would hand me this. And, and uh, I showed it to some lawyer friends, and they were like, taken aback by it too. They said, you should call this guy because that's really unusual for a judge to say that. And so I started talking to him and he said, yep, they, they framed this guy. I know exactly how they did it. I'll tell you everything. And he started giving me all this information and I started looking into it. I spent four years on this investigation and found out that this guy is not only innocent, but they know who did this. There's a, another man who lived about a mile away from the crime. This young man, Leo Schofield's wife got killed. Um, 17 years later, after the murder, after Leo has been convicted and sentenced to life, they find the fingerprints of a man who's killed a bunch of people inside the car. And sure enough, they go to him and he denies it at first, and then he fully confesses to it. And so you have another man who has not only forensically tied to the crime scene, but he's confessed to the killing of this young woman. And Leo Schofield is still in prison. So that was the premise that I started. Why is Leo Schofield still in prison when you have this other guy who's forensically tied to the crime scene and confessed? And it's just really a deep look at the corruption and the the really difficulty of trying to overturn a wrongful conviction. And that's what Bone Valley is all about. Hmm. So, so was the judge involved in any way? You know, he he the found out that he actually got involved in it when he was before he was a judge, he became a defense attorney. And that's how he learned about the case. And but then he couldn't work on it anymore once he got to be appointed judge. But he was still just burning to like get something done about this. And and the courts had all failed. Um, Leo was out of all legal options. And so that's where he's looking for some writer or some, you know, media person to come in and and do the investigation that the state of Florida never did. Oh, wow. Four years, huh? Yeah, and what's the reason why? Like, if they know that he didn't do it, why he still has to? You know, that's the that's the weirdest question of all. It's totally appropriate, but it's the hardest one to answer. It's just that overturning a wrongful conviction sets in motion all these other things. It it leads to like exoneration and a lot of money. Well, you know, close to two million dollars they would have to pay out. Um, It also would cause like a lot of defense attorneys to go start looking at this prosecutors cases and start dragging that out there and saying, look, he lied in this case. Maybe he lied here. It just sets in motion all of these uh, other factors but, and courts but finality. Yeah. But it's like, isn't that true? Like maybe that prosecutor did lie in those other cases. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, <laughs> I can prove that too, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's just, once you get like, I think when you start a, a, a trial, you're accused of something, you're innocent until proven guilty. Once you're convicted, now you're guilty until proven innocent. And it's a really high bar to, to, to get over. And, and, this guy has been, Leo has been in prison for 35 years. It's obvious to anybody who listens to this series that he's absolutely innocent. And yet he's still in prison every day. And, and it's just, uh, it's really heartbreaking to, to, to see how this could happen, but it's Florida. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, your legal options are like, you can, you can, he's out of legal options, as you said. So he, yeah. he tried a couple of times. There was no evidence to re- overturn it. You know, it's it's not only that. There's tons of evidence. I mean, there, there's some. It's just the courts refuse to believe it, and they just yeah. don't want to. You know, it, it it becomes a problem when you're in a really rural part of Florida. You know, sometimes people look at Florida and, and they they don't think of it as 
that kind of a state where, but you know, you go a half hour outside of Disney world and you're in the deep South. And, and that's sort of what we're dealing with. One of those really rural counties that, you know, a lot of good old boy prosecutors, we don't get anything wrong. Everything we do is great. And, uh, and that's sort of what we're dealing with. That's crazy. I think to prove somebody innocent, you need either a very good lawyer or a good Netflix special. About yeah. Or yeah. A podcast. If you have a documentary or a podcast, you can you can get uh you can get away with it. I mean Adnan Syed, right? He, right. He, he got out because of a podcast. So yeah, I mean that's all it really does take. And that's what the Innocence Project is constantly saying. Like we need stories out there because the courts are failing us. We cannot get this without some kind of media attention and storytelling. And you know, what's really weird about this case is I started writing the real killer. Um in prison. He'd never really talked to anybody, but it was, you know, during COVID and he started getting bored and he started writing to me. And it kind of reminded me you of said like, the real killer, the real killer of, of Leo's wife uh. has confessed to this. And he started writing to me and he's like, I don't understand why they don't believe me. I've said everything. I've said things that only the murderer would know. My fingerprints were in the car. There's all this evidence. Um, but you know, it's, it's just one of those real frustrating cases. Um, but he started writing to me and it kind of reminded me of like, I don't know if you, well, you don't remember, but son of Sam, like I was alive at that time. And I remember, you know, after his murders, he would write to the columnist, Jimmy Breslin in the the daily news. And and I just remember being so fascinated by that. And then, you know, this guy started writing to me and confessing to it. And um, I suspected he might've killed somebody else that he got gotten away with it. We found another case that looked like it was his. And sure enough, out of the blue, he confessed to that one too. So he's killed four people. Um, it's not like some vague, you know, misunderstanding. This guy's a murderer. He's killed four different people and he's admitting to killing Leo's wife and the state of Florida will not believe him. That's crazy. Do you yeah. think that, he, that in a different state, he would be better off? Like, I mean, is this yeah. really a Florida specific? Yeah, I think one of the big problems is a lot of these, um, a, a lot of um, counties are having what's called these conviction integrity review units. And basically it gives them the power within the prosecutor's office to go look at these cases where there's a strong claim of innocence and really start from scratch and investigate it from scratch. Um, but th- the problem in Florida is like, Leo's appeals, have many of them have failed for years. And so they're no longer able to go in and look at this kind of stuff because hey, the appeal deadline is gone. So it is a very narrow window of what can be considered new evidence now. Um, but yeah, I think if he was in New York or some of the more, I don't know, say progressive states, that I think that the, these conviction integrity units would look at this case and go, this needs to be overturned immediately. This guy needs to be out. And that's why we got this petition going on change.org. Um, if you Google Leo, Leo Schofield, um, change.org, um, we're asking everybody to sign this petition and hopefully bring enough pressure and attention to this case where Leo can get some relief. It can, it can get uh, by the governor or the president or... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the governor has the power. I, I actually, after I wrote Devil in the Grove... Um, you know, a few years later, there began all this political momentum to do something about it. And Governor Ron DeSantis actually said while he was running for office, he said, that's going to be one of the first things I take care of when I'm elected. And sure enough, I think it was like a second or third day in office. He ended up pardoning the Groveland Four. Um, you know, the old 72 year old case that was clearly a misju- uh, an injustice. Um, and so, yeah, it can be fixed by the governor. But I think in this case, you know, Governor DeSantis is is looking at uh, eyes towards like running for president. And so sometimes when you see that kind of um, political aspiration, you might see that they back off from the clemency things. They don't really want to deal with that at, uh, while they're running for office. I think it would be good for DeSantis. I mean, you know, cases, as you say, it would be he would it would be good for his political prospects to 
pardon an innocent person. There's no there's no constituency of people who don't want to see innocent people pardoned. There's people no, who I, be- I, I agree with you 100%. I don't think there's any like political consequences that he would face for doing this. I think he would be perceived as doing the right thing. And um, that's what we're hoping for. You know, one of the things, so when we used to do, we should start again. We used to, Before COVID, we used to do one show a week at the cellar for charity. Um, and the first one we did was for the Innocence Project because I it's one of the only charities I actually felt strongly about. This is, you know, and, and almost every one of these Innocence Project stories is just the most reprehensible, villainous, you know, human rights violating prosecutor or policeman or whatever it is, you know, and it makes your blood boil. And one of the things I could never get used to and still can't get used to is that Kamala Harris, who was clearly in more than one occasion was caught red handed trying to keep innocent people in jail. And in another instance, um, refusing, working very hard to make sure that a guy on, on death row, death row couldn't get a DNA test that might have that might have proven him innocent. She 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 wouldn't tolerate that, and I, I just can't ever forgive this woman. She, that is that's a monstrous thing, you know. Um, and I just don't understand it. I I mean I understand ego and people wanted to cover their tracks and mistakes, but who could sleep knowing that they might be responsible for an innocent person spending the rest of their life in jail? Imagine, and yeah. yet. Uh, and yet a large number of people seem to be able to live with that. Yeah, I, it's it's horrible, Noam. And I tell you, like Florida is like notorious for this. I'll give you a statistic that'll sort of blow your mind. Since uh, the Supreme Court reinstated the death penalty in uh, 1976, Florida has killed 99 people. In that same period of time, Third people have been released from death row, wrongly convicted and exonerated because of DNA. So for every three people that the state of Florida kills, one is completely innocent and released from prison. That should be unacceptable. And those are those are death penalty cases where, you know, you have a much more uh, vigorous appellate system. Um, But regular first degree murder, that's a life sentence. Those things are not looked at. I can't even imagine what the statistics would look like there. The one thing I I, I like to. I'm sorry. So I, I like to give myself credit sometimes. And one of the things sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, back <laughs> back in the 80s, I was against the death penalty because I felt very confident that they were executing innocent people. I, I said, like, is it, is it really worth it? To, you know, they're going to be executing innocent people. Um, it's not worth it. Just keep them in prison. It's not, it is not worth the risk. Uh, one thing about you know all the uh, these cases is like they have I feel like they have one thing in common usually is like so many evidence that the person is is innocent and yet they don't go through it you know um, and it's just like and it's different so I mean we had a couple of uh, you know cases here in the show like we have Amanda Knox before as a guest you know obviously her story is amazing we have uh, Russ Albright you know which he did commit a crime but I don't know if it fits you know the sentence that he he got you know and all that and just like you know when you see stuff like that like just like Noam say if one person is gonna suffer for it you know like yeah but I I, I just want to distinguish because it's it's just to it's it's important. Amanda Knox, I, I don't I wasn't on the show, but there's a question of whether she did it or not. Now you may think she's innocent, blah, blah, blah. 
the justice system is it won't be infallible. No system is. I'm no, no, I'm about, I said I said it's two three different things that Cross Albright did something, but doesn't reserve right. that. What Amanda Knox was a system in Italy different. I'm not saying right. anything. Right. No, what I'm talking about is people who are in prison and there are officials who know that they're innocent and are working to keep them in there. It's not a good faith thing where they really, you know, I presume that they, the prosecutors of Amanda Knox really think she did it. Right. And, and they're probably, you know, I don't know if they, they really, I think, I think it falls under that category. You were just mentioned as well, because you know, there is a DNA evidence later on, you know, but anyway, that, that exonerated I, Amanda Knox. Yeah. Uh, made made the other heard. guy, you know, um, he is the, uh, that he's guilty. He was the one that did it. But um, anyway, right? but, yeah, I mean, we're not really arguing. It's, it's just there's a special place in hell for a prosecutor yeah. or a police officer who who does this kind of thing. So, so, Gil, if we go back like a couple of steps, what made you want to be involved in this kind of investigation? Because I could see like it's just talking about it's very frustrating. And it just like yeah. especially when there's nothing that a lot of times you can do. I mean, sometimes you can, you know, and it's I'm sure it's worth it. But what? how did you get into that line of, um, of investigation? You know, sort of just feeling about this the same way Noam just said that I just found it abhorrent that some of these prosecutors knew that Leo was innocent and they went ahead and prosecuted him anyway. I mean, Jeremy Scott, who was the real murderer, I interviewed him in prison and he told me that when he got, when they found his fingerprints in the car, which was 2005, he went into the prosecutor's office by himself, no witnesses, no tape recorders, and just had a conversation with the prosecutor. And the prosecutor ended up lying about this in an evidentiary here under oath. Um, so why is the prosecutor committing perjury? That doesn't make any sense to me. And, and Jeremy said that he told the prosecutor that he was responsible for killing Michelle. And the prosecutor said, I don't want to hear it. Why? Because he was also the same prosecutor who prosecuted Leo. So it's all about protecting that conviction. And when I started researching this, this particular county, I found a lot of instances where the prosecutors were hiding exculpatory evidence from the defense attorney. So they knew that this evidence would hurt their conviction or case. And so they... Not to just, you know, for years, I spent a lot longer than the state of Florida had spent in their investigation. And I couldn't find one single piece of evidence that would con convince me that Leo Schofield was responsible for this. There's zero evidence. And all of the evidence points to Jeremy and he confessed. So when you have something like that, you're like, well, I'm definitely digging into this story some way. If, what, if, what evidence was used to convict him like the first time around? A lot yeah, of, like, I'm actually going to ask a little bit, if you can say for those don't know yeah. the story, just a little bit, the whole story. And to add to Danny's question, when did you think that Leah was innocent? You know, it, after the judge told me, I thought, well, this guy has credibility. He's a judge. He's not going to. But, you know, I'm still pretty skeptical myself. I start looking into it. Leo's like this young rock and roll guitarist in Florida um, trying to, you know, get his band going. And, you know, he, he he's he's got no criminal record whatsoever. But he does have like a rough relationship with his 18 year old wife, Michelle. So there's a couple instances where he admitted that he slapped her. But you had you started the case with 21 bad character witnesses who just came in one after another saying he's got a temper. He smashes his guitars. He punches holes in the wall. All of this stuff was like unrelenting. That should never have been allowed. But 
Leo had a really crappy lawyer. That was a big part of it. They also found one eyewitness who lived across the street who claimed that she saw Leo carrying something heavy out of his house um, that she presumed to be a body. Well, you know, she, there's other witnesses there who say, you know, that never happened. One one particular witness was the next door neighbor. And she said, you know, I was there when he carried something out, but it was two weeks before Michelle disappeared. She's absolutely mistaken. She's making this up. So based on this one witness who claims to have seen something and her story changed four or five times throughout the process. And based on the bad character evidence, that's how they convicted Leo. And this happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. Like the obviously be horrible to have your wife killed, but then for you to be convicted of it when you didn't do it on top of that must be just. Yeah. And he, you know, I talked to him on the phone all the time and, you know, he uh, he was able to hear part of the podcast and you know it's just devastating because i think you know it's it's his life that he's hearing about and he's hearing the man who admits to killing his wife giving all the details all of it makes sense all of it lines up um you know just think about how devastating is it not only to hear how your wife was killed and a man confessing to how many, he stabbed her 26 times very brutal killing but then to know that there are prosecutors who are keeping you in prison that knew you were innocent. And just that kind of, it's, it's beyond just an experience. It's a traumatic like PTSD thing for him. He goes into a really dark place when he hears this information because his whole life has been destroyed by this. So in your podcast, you managed to speak to him and to the real killer. Did you manage to speak to any um, <clears throat> of the other people involved, like witnesses or prosecutors or anybody? Oh, like that? Yeah, we talked to everybody. We talked to the trial judge. We talked to the witnesses. We talked to um, Michelle, the victim's family. Um, uh, Michelle's brother actually wrote a letter to the parole board saying, I don't believe in the conviction of Leo Schofield. I believe he should be paroled. I mean the only people who are really fighting this are the prosecutor's office. Everybody else around the, who knows the story, you know, believes that Leo's innocent. And uh, hopefully we'll get a lot more, a lot more attention. It's, it's really growing by leaps and bounds over the last couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, we're hoping that this turns into something like the, the Adnan Syed case where, you know, a podcast is responsible for getting out this story and people get so angry about it that they demand justice. Yeah. I mean, with him, that, that was like, a podcast before there was any podcast. Like, I mean, now there's so many. So that attention for, you know, um, that podcast was uh, was was excellent. Everybody was listening to it because there's nothing else. I mean, you know? it created that genre, essentially. Absolutely. Pretty much, yeah. Absolutely. Um, is that prosecutor still working? No, he he died, but you know he's got he's got mentees who have taken over the case, and they're they're you know doing the the the, the line, and we we interviewed one of them, uh, and you just listen to it; it's just it's preposterous to listen to there. You know, here's an interesting thing: we talk about those conviction integrity review units that have the power to go in and reinvestigate this from scratch, um, and you know we asked him about that. This is the the real state attorney, and his his response was basically, "We don't need that kind because we never get it wrong," uh, you know. Planes drop out of the sky and there's an investigation because we don't want it to happen again. We want to know what went wrong. If you go into a hernia surgery and you die on the table, there's going to be an investigation so that we can find out that this doesn't happen again. Lawyers sue airlines, lawyers sue hospitals, but they don't want their own work looked at. That just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's baffling. Yeah. I, I I don't know. Do you, are you optimistic that uh, Leo will get out of prison? 
I am actually. I, I think that you know. I think it's on. It's it's one of those cases that anybody who looks at the facts looks at it logically that, and and hears what is said in this podcast. Um, I don't think that anybody will hear it and say Leo Schofield is guilty. Uh, I think it, the, the reaction we're getting is that people just absolutely outraged about the state's behavior in this case. Uh, you know, no one's ever heard of this case, but it's all laid out over nine episodes. And, you know, like, again, I spent four years on this. I talked to more than a hundred witnesses and people involved in this. And, uh, you know, it's all spelled out. It's transparent as, as could possibly be. And this is definitely an innocent man who needs to be released. And I, I think somehow somewhere someone's going to come along and just say, this is enough and we can do something. And, you know, it's happened before in the state of Florida. So I am hopeful that it'll happen again. And when was this, uh, murder? 1987. So, you know, he's been in prison for 35 years over this. do you feel like things are different now with the dna and technology and all that or worse i think you know the dna is really impressive but um it's harder to overturn a wrongful conviction than it ever has been you know there's been some new laws that were written into the the patriot act of all things uh these edpa laws which make it impossible to appeal to uh federal you know for federal relief so they keep it within the states so those laws have made it possible for some of the biggest offenders like Louisiana, Texas, and Florida to protect their convictions and not get any relief. So in, in a way, all the DNA stuff is is really important. And it's obviously led to hundreds of exonerations of innocent people. Um, but, but the laws uh, have made it more difficult to correct these kind of injustices. This is crazy. This is one of my fears to be wrongly convicted in something. You know, it can happen to anybody. I know you think like, it, it's it's so this is never going to affect me. I'll always have. Well, Leo went out and got one of the biggest hotshot attorneys to represent him, and he had no money, but he he got in a car crash and he had fifty thousand dollars coming to him for a settlement, and so the lawyer agreed to take the case for that. And you know he was one of these better call Saul guys, really flashy. I think he mm. had like advertising and all, all sorts of things like come to me if you need. Uh, but he was just you know, he was an incompetent counsel. And, uh, you know, even to his credit, he said he provided incompetent counsel in Leo's case and fell on his sword. And the judge's response was like, not the Jack Edmund, he wouldn't make that kind of mistake. And they said, he's not incompetent. We know him real well. Uh, so it was just kind of like this network of, of, I don't know, really depressing things. That's crazy. Look, it's, it's worth, you know, just saying that we, I think we all understand that it's not so easy because if you make, it very easy to have convictions looked at again, then every single person will then, you know, nonstop be trying to get his conviction looked at again and again and again. So I, I, I understand the difficulty, but, you know, just repeating myself again, but there are times we know them where it crosses the line where the people involved are actually, they know the guy's innocent. They know it. Right. And for some reason they, that's not enough for them. And that's just, I just boggles my mind. It really does. And one of the things that really disturbs me is like, you know, writing about this kind of stuff. Sometimes you hear these prosecutors say things like, well, you know, I don't want my cases in the court of public opinion. I want them in the integrity of the court system. And I remember thinking, you know, if I was, let's just say like, cause this happens all the time with prosecutors, they get, they get information that maybe exonerates one of them. They put it to the side and they get kind of tunnel vision and they say, that doesn't help my case at all. I'm going this way. And so maybe they hide some of that evidence. Um, if they get caught doing that, the worst that ever happens to them is they get their name put in a 
like a Florida Supreme Court opinion saying the prosecutor, John Aguero, erred in doing this. And that's the worst. There's no it's a slap on the wrist. They don't lose their job. Um, you know, and that's somebody's freedom. They could be sending somebody to the electric chair or to a lethal injection. Um, and there's no accountability. If I was to do something like that, I'm writing a story about Thurgood Marshall and the Groveland boys. And um, I find like some documents where they confess to Thurgood Marshall that they actually did what they were accused of. And I put it to the side because it doesn't help my narrative. Um, my book would be pulled from the shelves if I got caught and I'd never get another publishing contract. So why do I face more accountability? I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but these prosecutors are carrying people's lives in their hands. And if they, it's not even a mistake, if they do something intentionally to convict someone and and either send them to prison or send them to to the death, to their deaths, there's zero accountability, and that just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, you know, there's, there's um, the notion of qualified immunity for police officers got a lot of attention in the last few years, and a lot of people are against it. Uh, people, you know, libertarians are against it. But I, yeah, I, I actually support the the notion of qualified immunity for practical reasons about police officers having to make snap decisions and things like that, or the notion that police officers would have to carry you know, uh, uh, liability insurance, and things. but prosecutorial immunity, which is not snap decisions, which is, you know, uh, why you should be able to do something as we're describing. And even if we can prove it dead to rights, you know, there's an email. Yeah, I know he's guilty, but fuck him. Um, yeah. <laughs> that That is not criminal. I just can't understand that. Maybe maybe there's a part of the issue I don't understand. Maybe there's arguments that are good that might, you know, I might have to take into account, but I don't know them. And it just it just doesn't make sense to me. If a prosecutor if a prosecutor does something like that, they should go to jail themselves. I agree. I mean, if they want to be called tough on crime prosecutors, if you're you're allowing something like that to happen in your office and and nobody's getting punished for that, I mean, that that prosecutorial immunity thing was a, a Supreme Court case several years ago. I think Clarence Thomas wrote the decision, uh, wrote the opinion on that, and it basically says that you know prosecutors don't have any accountability for this kind of for this, and these aren't mistakes; these are intentional you know moves for hiding evidence, hiding exculpatory evidence, and someone's paying for that with their lives. It's just. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Norm. Do you guys think that um, you know, a lot of times they say like people like psychologically want to be become a, a cop because they want to be you know tough, they want to you know carry a badge, a gun, all that. You know, for prosecutors, do you guys think that part of the problem is they feel like these their success by conviction uh, conviction numbers or something like that, like or or, or is it? Or is it like, oh, I'm only going to, my job is to find out the truth. So if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. Is that part of the problem at all? Like egos and and why they want to be in this line of work? I think it is a real problem. I, I think, you know, one of the things about these cases is you have to expect that there's ego and there's political aspirations. So if you're a prosecutor and you're like, you know, the lead prosecutor in a county and you're known for getting 65 um, death penalty convictions. Um, you know, you're maybe seeking higher public office, maybe you're seeking a judgeship, but if you start having your cases get overturned in the higher courts, that's a real black mark on your record. And so maybe you do this a couple of times and it, it, you're starting to get a little bit of uh, attention for these wrongful, possible wrongful convictions. You know, the way it's in your power is to protect that conviction and to fight it. And that's what the states are doing. Um, they're fighting these things tooth and nail, delaying things. Um, 
And so, yeah, I think it's it's a big problem that you have ego and aspirations have really entered into the, the prosecutor's office when it should really be just about seeking justice. I, I think I think a lot of times, um, you know, of course, there are there are examples of evidence that a prosecutor has, which are just smoking gun. You know, the the guy the guy was in Tahiti, couldn't have done it. Right. But uh, probably more often, the prosecutor actually thinks the guy did do it. And he thinks that this evidence will cloud the issue. And uh, let, let's let's just let's just keep this out of it. Let's not 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 let's not let this get in front of the jury because this might, you know, create reasonable doubt, quote unquote, for the jury. And we know the guy's guilty, so I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing by keeping this evidence out. I think I think quite often that it's that probably I'm just going to guess ten to one is the prosecutors actually think the guy is guilty, and they just get overzealous that way. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it all exists. It all exists. Yeah. It all yeah. exists. Also, people are competitive. You know, it's hard, it's hard for people to admit they were wrong. Yeah, absolutely right about that. So uh, your last episode just dropped. I don't want to give too much, but the yeah. ending, everybody was talking about it. Do you want to, you know, touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I'll just touch on it because it's, um, you know, I won't, I won't, I won't spoil it, but it's basically we're leading up to all this like three and a half years of research and work. And finally, Jeremy Scott, the real killer starts writing back to me and agrees to be interviewed. Um, and, and so it's really the, the whole episode is just about us going into the prison and, and talking to Jeremy Scott. And, you know, I think without giving too much away, it's pretty obvious when he starts talking that he is tortured by his past life, this life 30 years ago before he was locked up for a different murder. So he's never getting out of prison. I mean, I talked to his brother about it. And his brother said, look, you know, after the years, this stuff gets worse. The guilt just sort of, you know, gets to you. And, and I think that's what we were dealing with when we were talking, Jeremy, really a tormented soul who was coming clean about his life. And when you, when you hear about his life, you hear how horrible it really was. I mean, he was, he was abused as a child. He was run over um, as a two-year-old, had brain damage. Um, he was getting arrested at age 11 for felonies. I mean, he was just a lost kid. Like this is no surprise that he ended up this way. And so just, I think, that was part of the story that was just really interesting it was like how honest and how much he was dealing with memory and, and how tortured he was by his past. And also Leo, basically his attitude toward Jeremy, he's the only person in this entire story who has any empathy for Jeremy. So by the end, you really have this really interesting mix of these two guys who are in separate prisons, sort of coming to an agreement about what happened that night when, when Michelle was killed. That's crazy. Isn't it isn't it, isn't it crazy that when you're in jail you can build that kind of guilt over the years, but when you're outside and you are responsible for that, like Kamala Harris, like Noam said, and stuff like that, you have no guilt at all. Like it's it's crazy. Did Leo no, and Jeremy ever met? No, they well actually they did meet when they got dragged into an evidentiary hearing, which is a yeah. fascinating story because. Leo talks about being like linked up with 33 uh, people on like basically a chain gang being brought into court. And he was the one person who was by himself. And down the hall, he sees Jeremy Scott brought into the prison because he or brought into the courtroom because he's going to be testifying too. And they don't understand that these two guys are connected. And so they're about to bring Jeremy Scott up and handcuff him with Leo to go into the holding cell. And Leo says, this is like God's will. If they, if this is what they're going to do to me, like 
I don't know what I'm going to do. If they handcuffed me, I might just wrap my handcuffs around and take them down. And finally, after 20 something years, I'll have justice. And, And that's a big part of the story is Leo, after all this, feeling like this is the first time he's felt like a murderer because they were about to bring Jeremy and handcuff them together. Uh, and, and so he has a lot of guilt about those thoughts about what he would have done. Fortunately, that they pulled him apart at the very last second. Yeah. Um, but it's just, but the reason I'm allowed. asking this is because I heard that if the two, if somebody confess about a murder that somebody else, uh, uh, inmate in the same present, they won't take it because they think that they made some kind of deal. So if there is any connection between them, maybe that's why they kind of turned down Jeremy's. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a very common thing. Sometimes yeah. you have, you know, th- those kind of confessions, but it's pretty clear in this case that they didn't know each other. And, and, and uh, you know, even though they were in the same town, um, they were, they just ran in separate circles. Jeremy was running around like a homeless kid, you know, doing all these crimes. And Leo was like a working man playing in a rock and roll band and they just weren't in the same circles. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that, you know, Jeremy's doing this to clear his conscience and to clear his soul. At one point he said to me, you know, we asked him if he ever thought about Michelle and, you know, he just gave this answer that was just so haunting. He said, you know, all the time when I go to bed at night, I sleep with the bodies. I sleep with the dead bodies of the people that he killed. Mm. And he goes, it's a nightmare. And you could hear his voice cracking and you could see in his eyes, like how tortured he was. Like this was memory. He was dealing with memory. It was, it's not like, he's not Lawrence of a Lawrence. Uh, uh, well, I'll use Daniel day Lewis as a great actor. He's got like a 79 IQ. This was, he's not a master criminal. He was just dealing with the torture and pain of his own existence. And that's why he was coming clean. Um, what's wrong with 70 IQ? Cause that's my number. <laughs> it's nothing. <laughs> uh, you pulled it off well. Yeah. Bone Valley. Um, you know, <laughs> you gotta watch it. It's nine parts, top 10 in the US right now. Great story. If people want to help, what can they do? Uh, I would just find the petition at change.org. Leo Schofield. Um, you Google his name. His, his last name is spelled S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D. Um, we're just building signatures on that and hopefully we'll get more and more attention. And as the podcast continues to grow, we're getting a lot of outrage from even some Florida people who are very politically connected, who really feel like they want to do something to help. So I'm kind of hopeful about it. Oh, man. Uh, well, hopefully uh, you have more for signatures after this show. Um, I just found out. Yeah. Oh, and and yeah, congrats. You sold one of your books. It's going to be a movie. Yeah, well, it it's a... Uh... It's not now. It's being redeveloped again. So it's it's out there on the market again. I'll make calls. Don't worry. Yeah, do some calls. Get it out there. <laughs> Norm, any thoughts? Uh, well, I I think that uh, you know, I hope you get a lot of uh, personal satisfaction out of what you're doing here because he's doing a tremendously important thing by shining a light on on such things. It's not it's not just for this person. But I, but it has a broader effect, I'm sure, as well. I, I agree with you completely, and you know, it's sometimes it's just about educating jurors so that they realize some of the things that happen within the system, and they just know. You know, back in the day, one of the big excuses you used to hear from from prosecutors, they would say, "Do you think this policeman would risk his entire career for this criminal to lie about that?" And the jurors would go, "No, no, co- no cop would ever lie. That's right." So as ju- jurors become more and more educated, uh, they begin to see that you know things do go wrong in these cases. 
Yeah. And I do think with podcasts and like special like uh, documentaries like the Netflix, all of them, like I think overall it's becoming a, a you know a good a good job. You know that that um, you know a lot of the I think this story could be a great documentary as well. So hopefully you know uh, you can get there. Um, what's your next project? You have one already. I have a couple stories. Uh, I like going down to Florida because it's just so much goes wrong down there. But, um, <laughs> I love the state. And uh, so, yeah, I have a couple things I'm considering right now. But right now, I'm just trying to like, it's hard to move on from a story when there's somebody in prison. You're like, hey, just told your story. It's doing great. Next. It's just really hard to do. So it's this is sort of still the job is to just sort of make sure people are hearing it. And something happens. Yeah, no, it's insane. But definitely, you know, um, if you listen to this, you know, please check out the Bone Valley and, uh, you know, sign the, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll have the website uh, actually in the description here so you can go and sign the petition as well. Um, all right. So this is great. Anything you guys want to talk about in news in general before we go? No, Danny, anything? Uh, I mean, there's so many things. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to pick one. Any Anything that bothers you? Uh, the uh, no, I mean, the whole Kanye West stuff is, but it's, I don't know, it seems like just bizarre, like Alex Jones, all that nonsense. Yeah. I'm very much torn between, like, is this guy just bipolar and he's having, like, this episode, and then, like, at what point can you not uh, use that as an excuse? I don't, I don't know, the whole thing's wild. No, that- if Kanye come to the cellar, would you let him in? Yeah, I'll let him in. I I I put hi Benny. Um, I I think that uh, clearly he's having some sort of mental break, right? I mean, with his wearing that what do you call it, balaclava? I don't know. Ba- ba- yeah, and it's the Balenciaga. The thing is, he's wearing the Balenciaga thing, which then Balenciaga had that campaign. Did you see with the kids and like the yeah. stuffed bears and like bondage, and they they had the court case of the child pornography court case that was like placed in in the shot whatever and so Kanye West is starting to say like oh I'm against these people but then I'm wearing their stuff the whole thing is uh, I'm having issues processing yeah I don't wear their products <laughs> I don't wear their products but for other reasons yeah I mean I, Trump Trump shouldn't have had dinner with them I I'm having trouble fully reacting to that like I know I should and people will think it's because I'm so, soft on Trump in some way but I you know the guy they have a relationship it's hard it's it's hard not to sit down with somebody you have a relationship with when they're having a, when you know they're having a mental break. I mean, I I had a friend who was manic depressive. You know him, Hatem Wig. Yeah. Um, he it, the story ends with him jumping off a bridge, you know, killing himself. And um, oh, wow. when he would have his uh, manic episodes, I mean, he even threatened to kill me one time. And and um, you know, it, it, it's. It is what it is. Uh, it, I, I don't believe Trump knew who this guy Fuentes was, uh, um, no. I, based on what I've read in the, you know, uh, I don't think so. Trump press. Uh, it, w- it would be psychotic for if Trump did know who he was to want to sit down and have dinner with him. Like, why? It, w- it was like, not that's it. So, but having said that, you know, Trump is running for president. And, and when Kanye is out there now, this was prior to the full Nazi stuff, right? That but, was prior uh, yeah. to the Alex Jones stuff. Yeah. But it was. So, you know, I guess to be kind of fair to Trump, it was at the same time that Chappelle could go on SNL and make kind of, you know, ambiguous remarks about Kanye. So, you know, in in that, at that time, he sat down and had dinner with him. But you don't want to normalize 
Nazi well, anti-Semitism. No, I mean, I feel like Chappelle almost didn't do him any favors by saying, like, I know him. He's not crazy because then he goes and does this stuff. He said he's not well. He said he's not well. But he was saying he's I think he said he's like in his monologue. He's like, he's not crazy. And then he goes and says this stuff. And then you're like, well, you know, it was interesting. What one I read one piece in Slate and and I thought the piece about Chappelle and everything. And and I thought the piece was just, you know, left wing drivel. But there was one uh, insight, one, one part of it that I thought was potentially insightful which was that Chappelle had been called crazy when yeah. he walked away from the $50 right, yeah. and that he might be reluctant to bandy that term around uh, against others. And that might buy, that may be why he said, look, he's not cr- crazy. He's obviously not well, like something's going on with him, but I don't want to say he's crazy. And then the, the subtext being like, cause I know they said I was crazy and I wasn't. Crazy. Right. Right. So I, yeah. I think that's possible, you know, you know, that's that's very actually interesting because I remember the specifically the interview with Chappelle about the um when he said the worst thing that somebody can call you crazy, it's uh dismissive. You know, it's he was very hurt by it. So I see. And also during the pandemic, doing stuff when when after the Kim Kardashian stuff, you know, Chappelle was the one that goes to Kanye all the time, you know, like he would visit him and stuff like that. So they're they're good friends in a way, but you know, but yeah, Kanye need, need to, I don't know. Look, it's it's hard when somebody you're close with, your family, your friend, or whatever it is, says something racist, does something racist, whatever it is. You'd like to think, no, I would never talk. Life doesn't necessarily work that way. It, it's hard because racism is a flaw. There's a lot of flaws, you know. Right? There's a lot of flaws we don't end relationships for. We have people who've done worse than say racist things. You know, there's racist things, there's racist actions. Um, I don't know. P- people pretend that, you know, they're so high and mighty, but the fact is that they're not. They're just not. Yeah. Um, uh, Gil, what with the president, did anybody was close to uh, uh, pardon uh, Leo? Because I know three presidents were trying to, um, th- debating pardoning um, uh, Russ Albright. Uh, anybody was close to not yet, but you know, I, I, Donald Trump actually did a pretty good job with some of those exonerations and some of those, you know, pardons. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's interesting. I've heard stories about him being pretty generous about that in his last days. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I, I, there's always that. But um, well, Bill Clinton did credit Mark uh, uh, um, Mark Rich, Mark Rich, right? right? And Bill Clinton cared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And his and his brother, uh, and yeah. his and his brother. Yeah. <laughs> That's guy. right. So he had a heart. And of course, we, we talked about many times the podcast, Bill Clinton, who famously flew all the way to Arkansas to execute a, a retarded, I don't know what the, the actual correct terminology is, but I don't mean it in a flipping way, but an actually guy who was, you know, brain damaged, who asked for, you know, asked to have dessert after his execution kind of, and, and Clinton wanted the whole country to know that he was not afraid to execute this guy. So, yeah, that's back when um, Democrats really had to show that they were tough on crime. And so yeah. they were off, often taking different kinds of stances than what they take today. Can you imagine wanting to be president that badly that you would execute a, a person, you know, like that? It's just for like the PR. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine um, wanting to be president that badly that you'd say the Constitution should be suspended. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. Um, uh, the usual in this time, DeSantis, Trump, who's going to go? Who's going to win? Anybody? Let's go, Gil. What do you think? Since you're in Florida a lot. 
Yeah, I just I'm just really looking forward to like eating the popcorn and watching this play out. I mean, with these two guys just going at each other, um, you know, I, I think the Republican establishment seems to want to be leaning towards DeSantis. But, you know, Trump is a great disruptor and he's a very powerful figure, especially down in Florida. Um, so I just think that this primary race, if, if it lasts along, it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. But I have no predictions. Danny, what's your prediction? Kanye. No, um, <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. I, I watched Trump's um, his his announcement and felt like he just didn't have it, didn't have the sauce that he had before. You know, I he, felt that since the was, last debate with Biden, like his debate. Well, he, that before, debate was he was unhinged and he, he couldn't stop or like interrupting him. But like this that was, was like, the first debate. That was the first debate. Yeah, yeah. or the first debate. He was like, no, but I'm like saying in general, energy. like his debate versus Hillary, he was brilliant. He was funny. He was a stand-up it's comic. funny. Yeah, exactly. He was like a comic. Exactly. No, he he's, he just doesn't seem to have the energy. I don't know. I don't think he, he has like his diehard base, obviously, but I think that's dwindles. Like he's not gaining any people. That's for sure. I don't, I don't feel that way. I, I would have to go with DeSantis. I, or, or somebody else, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, no, what about you? You have a, a streak of five correct and one. Five and one, your record so far. Well, one, I said, I already said a year ago. One time you were wrong and five I, were right. I, I said a year ago already, I don't think Trump has even a, a slight chance of, of the nomination again. Mm. Um, my reasoning was then, and it's only way more now, is that Trump, when he came out in 2016... He had a message which reverberated with a lot of people, this kind of make America great again, which people like John Stewart, you know, claim, oh, well, you want to go back to Jim Crow, but that's not what he meant. And that's not what he meant to people who remember in America, which was self-confident, which got things done, which won the Olympics and put up big buildings and manufactured and, you know, and, and, um, had its shit together. And, uh, and he's a lot of, anyway, a lot of things he said, were very, very effective because I, I've felt them um, at times. The 2024 Trump, what is what is his agenda going to be? I was robbed. I was robbed. Uh, vote me and I'll build a wall, the one I promised and didn't build then. And I'll do this the time that I'll do this promise that I didn't do when I had four years to do it. I'll, uh, he, but he can say like he's coming back to because he forgot to collect uh, from Mexico. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, he, now he's he, coming back to get the money. <laughs> I, I don't see how he can ever come close to capturing the freshness and yeah. effectiveness of his initial message. Like, you know, it's hard to remember that we didn't think in 2015 that Donald Trump was a total fraud. Donald Trump was a popular guy. You know, we got some inklings of it when he called Mexicans rapists, but we were you know, well, maybe 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 came out wrong, but maybe at least he is a billionaire. Maybe he will know what he's doing, and maybe we do need someone who's you know doesn't give a shit and is ready to to disrupt and and tell the truth about things. And maybe only he can fix it. And you know, you know, there, there, it was it was reasonable to think that it was worth a roll of the dice, but it's no longer reasonable. It's just it's just no longer reasonable. And now, since then, with the stuff that's come out with January sixth and meeting with a Nazi and and. Uh, all, all this other stuff. I just don't see how he can possibly cobble. And with a really effective um, guy, DeSantis, who has a really good record and very effective in Florida and, and has some of the same policies, I don't see how the guy has any chance whatsoever. Yeah. I, I think he may totally wash out. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you saw on Truth Social yesterday. He actually said he wants to suspend the Constitution. 
Yeah. yeah I, just, I made a joke about that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you know what I find interesting that Ivanka said that she loves her dad, but she's not going to be involved anymore. And she support. <laughs> I think she's going to run eventually. Like she's trying to say, you know, but thank God Elon Musk is not uh, born here. Uh, so, but I want to see Jeff Bezos uh, versus Elon Musk election. That would be. The most interesting, interesting thing about Trump <laughs> is that if only he had conceded the election on, you know, January 5th or whatever it was, uh, he'd be a shoo-in right now. He would be a shoo-in. I mean, like, you know, he had a pretty good four years, COVID notwithstanding, at the time, his COVID record looked bad. But in retrospect, after more people died under Biden and people are still dying in China, and you're uh, like, it, it's it's easier to say now that Trump's COVID record, while um, uh, you know, while he, his bedside manner was arrogant and egotistical, that maybe he wasn't responsible for that many deaths. Oh, and by the way, Operation Warp Speed saved millions of lives, right? So he could, I think he could get out from under his COVID record. And then on top of that, he had a pretty good record as president. I mean, not, not personality wise, but he wasn't yeah. colluding with the Russians. The economy was good. He, he bombed the, the Soleimani and we never heard from him again. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of accomplishments. I like how people like he bombed Soleimani and never heard of him. You never heard of them before. <laughs> you no. only heard of him during the bombing, not before and not after. <laughs> Trump took a certain number of bold actions and I'm not defending the bold actions here to be clear. But he, the the critics predicted consequences of these actions time and time again, and the consequences never materialized, i.e., yeah. you can make the argument that Trump had a better kind of gut about what he could get away with than they did. Trump moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Now, you may be against that, but all the consequences, the, actually, the sky didn't fall. Even yeah. after that, all the Arab countries, which, by the way, John Kerry said the Arabs will never sign a separate peace with Israel. Trump said, oh, yeah, I think they will. And they did. You know, there's there's a number of these things that Trump could very effectively make his case. And fuck, you know, I, I should be president again, you know. But yeah. now there's not 71 now. million people voted for him. And that's a pretty big number for 74. So we'll see. But um, no, he's yeah. Done. He's done. He's all right. Done. Well. Uh, you guys want to um, share your information where people can find you. And I'm going to have a link for Bond Valley uh, podcast as well. Uh, Gil, you want to start with you where people can find you, follow you, all that? Yeah, you can just find me on Twitter, Gilbert King. Um, look there. Um, the, the podcast is called Bone Valley and uh, yeah, all over the place. All right. Danny? Uh, just at Danny Jokes everywhere. And uh, yeah. What about your podcast? Podcasts, uh, I do the boys cast every Friday with Ryan Long. And then Tuesday nights, I do a call-in show called Low Value Mail. And uh, Wednesday nights, The Bathhouse. So Ryan, Ryan Long, you know that um, the uh, the guy who uh, who attacked Paul Pelosi in his... Yeah, uh, he's on, Canadian. In, yeah, in his website, Ryan Long. He was a big Ryan Long. I fan. know, Ryan, Ryan said, yeah, 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 Ryan sent me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So I saw the picture of both of us. <laughs> On his, on the guy who attacked. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a nice little Easter egg for me. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great podcast. Ryan, Ryan, and Ryan and Danny. I don't know if you see the videos. They do a lot of like crazy stuff. I like uh, the one when you collect the money for Carlson, um, Tucker Carlson in Times Square. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, and people was like, I would never do that. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Norm, anything you want to promote? Well, we have a uh, really interesting um, 
like a not a debate, but a conversation about cancel culture and all that stuff coming up on the 19th of December. But it's almost sold out already with John Height, Greg Lukianoff, and uh, another woman. I don't know. I think Schlott, I think is her name. But anyway, um, uh, uh, hosted by this uh, Dr. Kaufman, I think is his name from Columbia. You know, my I'm so terrible with names. But anyway, that's the worst it, <laughs> promotion. <laughs> But, but yeah, it's, well, he said it's already almost sold out. <laughs> it's almost sold out, but it's but it's going to be interesting. So first no, of all, Jonathan Height and Greg Lukianoff, these guys are are giants. Yeah, Jonathan I mean, Hyde, I really, really John Height was just on uh, sixty Minutes two Sundays ago. I mean, the, those anything that those guys are involved in is is worth coming to see. Yeah, no, definitely. And you wrote that email, right? I could tell, like, when you write about a show that you really like versus when you describe sh- my shows. You're always like, whatever, you write it. You know, when no, you like no, something. No, 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 the, the no. Organ, the organizer wrote wrote the copy and I just pasted it into the email. I write copies and you don't take my words. Isn't because you don't, because you don't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> my shows are better, but yet Noam never ever um, uh, promote them. But um, uh, but we'll see. At the Comedy yeah. Cellar, Cellar Talks, uh, the best ones. Hold on one second. I'm trying Sour to. Sour grapes. Yeah. Noam, are you going to see Andrew Doyle this week? Uh, he's coming on our podcast on Tuesday. Am I going to see what? A- Andrew Doyle. Oh, he's on your... He's, where's, where's Andrew Doyle going to be? Uh, he's coming on... He said he's going to be in New York this week. I assume that he... I think he said he's going to be hanging out at the cellar. I would like to see him. He was just such a nice guy. He sent me an autographed copy of his book. Um, uh, He's so funny. Um, yeah, he's so fun- uh, unreal. I would he's like to see funny. him. Yeah, yeah. If, if you guys want to meet up, let me know. I would love to come hang out with him. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think he said I talked to him. I think he said he was going to be at the cellar. He's coming to do our podcast on Tuesday afternoon. Oh, well, let's see. Oh, maybe right. we'll get him here too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, guys, thank you very much. Live from America, Gil. Good luck, Danny. Thank you very much, guys. Great thank to you. see you. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me.